someone called him and just said, Callie's been in an accident with a horse. The helicopter's on its way. From the bite on the back of my neck, I had blood like all kind of around my neck and coming out of my ears. I think my body, like my nervous system said, this is it, I'm gonna die. Oh my God. Jump in with both feet. Go big, follow your dreams. Grab life by the reins. This is how we live. We're Callie King and Andrea Wady, two horse trainers always looking for adventure and finding it. Join us for stories of dangerous travels, wild animals, new challenges, and in the end, always learning alongside our magnificent horses. So saddle up and follow along. You're listening to Grab Life by the Reins. love connections with animals. It's something that I think we both relied on a lot in our early years um, in life. And even now, we tend to find more peace with animals than we do with humans, I think. But we were also talking about how it doesn't always go to plan. And that with the best will in the world, sometimes an animal will attack or not want to be with us. We were thinking about that a little bit this week about how things can go wrong and it can change the direction of our life even. And I know that you have a pretty phenomenal story about a horse and it just kind of blows me away that after this, which you'll hear about in a minute, you still are completely in love with horses and that's pretty phenomenal. So you had an incident. I can't think how old you were. 13. 13, when you got attacked by a stallion. Yes. It, it changed the course of my life because before that, I wanted to be a professional rider in the sense of I wanted to be a competition rider. And I had all these big dreams for what I was going to do. And that event changed it changed me personally but it also changed like what my drives and interests were because basically I just for a long time asked the question of why would he do that and what happened to me why couldn't I react why what actually happened when I went unconscious why did I have the thoughts I did during it so just talk us through how it happened. Where did it all start? Well, the backstory was we'd had horses. Um, I got my first horse when I was nine, Scotch. And I had been riding for a few years, even before that, started riding when I was six. Got my first horse when I was nine. My parents, um, both my mom and my dad, started riding a little bit when I was around 12. And then we were coming home from Colorado back to Pennsylvania, driving, we always drove. And we came through Kentucky to see a friend of my dad's. And through a random course of events, he ended up purchasing a stallion. Oh, <laughs> Literally someone rode by with a stallion and 
my dad was just like, we'll take him home, put him on the trailer. But we didn't have the facilities for a stallion. For anyone that doesn't know, stallions can be quite dangerous, especially when they're in domestic situations, when they don't have the socialization that they would in a herd. A stallion in a natural herd situation is essentially the protector of the herd. So they do have that aggression that's needed to sometimes attack predators. You know, horses will attack in the wild. They're not just a, a flight animal. So they have that to attack predators. They also will, you know, the males, the stallions will, will fight over females. So they have a, a certain amount of natural aggression. Absolutely. And then when they're kept in domestic situations and they don't have enough exercise, they don't have the outlet, they don't have the socialization, that can often really increase that they just have more and more of this kind of pent up energy and pent up aggression. So we didn't have the facilities to correctly care for or house the stallion. I was 13. So I didn't, even though I was already quite good with horses at this age, I still didn't have near the skills that were needed for handling a stallion and handling an aggressive stallion at that. And he was, his name was HUD. He was a beautiful, really dark in his breed. He was a Rocky mountain horse and they call it a dark chocolate with flax and mane and tail. Oh, stunning. So he had this rich, like literally the color of dark chocolate coat with this bright blonde mane and tail, beautiful horse. And he was small. He only stood horses are measured in hands. He only stood, um, 14-1. 14-1. So he was, he was a smaller horse and he just had so much fire. And I had ridden him maybe one or two times. So I didn't normally ride him, but I did care for all of the horses that we had. We just had, I think we had four horses at that time. And our two mares were kept at the other side of the farm, but they were just coming out of their last season for the year. And with HUD, he would stay in the stall for most of the day, but I would put him out for several hours in a paddock that we had, a small paddock. When I took him out to the paddock that morning, he was really lively. And me being my 13-year-old, also very lively, very opinionated self, I would say we had and I had a bit of a fight that morning. Like he was pulling and I was yanking on his lead and trying to control him to get him out to the field. And long story short, I got him out to the field that morning. I went on about my day. And like six hours later, it's the afternoon. I was going to ride my bicycle over to my grandmother's house. I needed to bring him in and do a few other chores before I left. So I was in a hurry. I go into his field, put his halter on, walk out the gate. And we have a short stone driveway that goes from this paddock he was in into the barn. And I just moved to start running. So it kind of made just like that little jump that you do when you're about to break into a run. Mm -hmm. And the next thing I know, I was on the ground. Oh, my God. And he was on top of me. (gasps) Like down on his knees on top of you? Yeah. Which is... A very, very, very dominant move of a stallion, isn't it? Once they've got something pinned to the ground. Yeah, it's Ooh. it's actually what horses, when they have a, and typically they would do this with what they're perceiving as a threat. Threat, yeah. Like I have seen photos, never seen it in person, but I've seen photos of horses actually killing coyotes, killing mountain yep. lions. And snakes and all sorts. Yes. Mm. What they do with the larger 
larger animals that they want to kill is they have a very, very powerful bite force, but of course they're a grazing species, so they don't have sharp teeth. Sure. So they will, they will grab and they will pin to the ground and then they actually roll their weight onto crush. Yeah. So if it's a smaller thing like a snake, they can beat it with their front legs and strike. Um, but something larger, they push it to the ground and then they just roll their weight on and crush it. Oof. So he had me, when he first grabbed me, he had beat by the arm. And then he was like throwing me to the ground and then he would go to his knees and, and push his chest into me. Oh, how terrifying. And I remember thinking, uh, because this is happening in this stone driveway, there's two fences. And I remember thinking, I'll get under the fence. Roll under the fence. That's sensible. Yeah. But he never let go of me. There, I mean, he let go for such a split second when he would have me down because he had me the first by the arm. And then second, he had me by the back of the neck because I remember my face just getting crushed down into the stones. And so like that feeling of so much weight on top of me. Oh my God. That I could like see the fence but really, there was no even chance. Just get there. No even chance to try to. And no one's around. No. You know you're on your own. Yeah. Wow. I still, to this day, I don't know actually how long it was going on. I was going to say, yeah, was it 10 seconds or 10 minutes? Hard to know. Yeah. Because what I, the next thing that I remember, he had me by the arm, he had me by the back of the head. With his teeth. With his teeth. And his body on you. Yes. Oh, I feel sick. Then he grabbed me by my lower leg, like by my calf. And at this point, I started having having that experience where I think my body, like my nervous system said, this is it. I'm going to die. Yeah. And that's what I was then thinking consciously, too. So I, I went into that state of reviewing like, okay, well, I'm never going to be a professional rider. I'm not going to see my dog again. What are my parents going to think when they find out? Like I went through reviewing all of so those that things. Happens. The people talk about that. You know, they say your life flashes in front of your eyes, but it literally is that feeling of taking stock. Yes. Wow. Yeah. Taking stock. And it happened quite slow. Like for me, it wasn't a life flashing before my eyes. It was it, yeah, it doesn't match with normal time, but it was quite a slow process. And he's still attacking all at the same time. Yes. Yeah. Oh. And then by this point, we were out of the stone driveway and on the, um, the blacktop, the paved because road. He, he's dragged you, essentially. Yes. Yeah, he dragged me quite a, a distance of like 100 feet from where I know it started to back out to the road. And then at this point, I could feel my head hitting the road because he had my leg and it was just like swinging me. So you're now on the public road? Yes. Oh my gosh. And that's where I don't know if I lost consciousness just from my body just shutting off or if I lost consciousness from a concussion. I think it was a concussion because the symptoms that I had after Maybe seemed both. very concussion-like. But yeah, it could have been both. So... The next thing I remember, because then I lost consciousness, was laying on my back on the road and waking up and two people over top of me. What scared me the most was I couldn't move anything in my body. And I thought I was paralyzed, paralyzed, which because of my dad and seeing him live with paralysis, even from a young child, my greatest fear in life was paralysis. I'm sure. So that 
that's what I thought had happened. Yeah, because, I mean, your father's in a wheelchair. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Terrifying. So flipping that story to the other perspective, what had happened was this couple, this man and his girlfriend, they were driving up the road and they saw the horse in the middle of the road. And the the woman said, oh, look at that horse. He's playing with his blanket. <gasps> but it was you. It was me. Oh, my God. I've got goosebumps all over me. Not good ones. So wow. the, I, the ironies of life are pretty wild because this person who, um, his name was Lorne Dell. He saved my life. Yeah, absolutely saved my life. He was not the most favored person in town. And him and my father had a history of being enemies since the time that they were children. Wow. Yeah. But he saw when they, as they continued driving up the road and he saw what was happening, he threw the car to a stop, ran over because my, my parents um, did woodworking. They had a carpentry business. So there was always a lot of like lumber and like scraps of wood laying around. And he found a two by four, a long two by four. And he ran back over and he describes it as he had to beat the horse. Well, I mean, the horse was killing you. There's no, and I mean, he's lucky in himself that the horse, you know, clearly the horse had had some kind of mental break, you know, or something maybe in hindsight that horse had a tumor in its brain or something, you know. Um, So he put himself on the line too, because that horse could easily have turned he was in full predator mode he could have turned onto this guy but he managed to stop the horse and the horse dropped you yeah wow yeah so the horse dropped me and left and then that's what i remember is is waking up and it was him and his girlfriend and i never knew his girlfriend's name but they they were both there and they were leaning over me and they called the ambulance and they knew because they knew my family you know i think one of them stayed with me. I don't remember who. And the other one went first to my parents' house because they knew that, you know, that's where I lived. My parents weren't home. So then they went up the road and my um, my grandfather was home. Mm. So they went there. They put me in the car and took me up there because they were, they even said in hindsight, they were scared. They knew because they I was laying there and couldn't even talk at this point like couldn't form words, couldn't move anything. So they were scared to move me, but they were scared. They didn't know horses. They were afraid the horse would come back. Which to be fair, he could have done. So they, they loaded me in the back of the car, drove up to my grandparents' place, and then waited up there for the ambulance to come. Wow. So this shows that actually the statistics of when there are injuries with horses, at least in the state of Pennsylvania, if a call comes into 911 as an equestrian accident, the helicopter is immediately dispatched. Yeah. Immediately. Yeah. So my father was um, hunting in a rural area in uh, northern Pennsylvania, and he just got a call. I don't know if it was family or who, but someone called. Well, it's a small community, so word would get around. Yes quick. Yeah, word got word got around really quick because it's also the kind of community that a lot of people have the dispatch, you know, they can, a lot of people are involved with the fire company. So they hear all those calls come in. So someone called him and just said, Callie's been in an accident with a horse. The helicopter's on its way. 
And then as he started driving, he lost service. Mm. So that was the last that he heard for about two to three hours of drive. Oh my goodness. So even when they first got there, they, from the bite on the back of my neck, I had blood like all kind of around my neck and coming out of my ears and they thought head injury. So it wasn't until a little bit later they started cleaning that and, you know, like the EMTs just doing first exam before they even would pull me out of the back of the car, depending on the injury. And they canceled the helicopter because it wasn't a severe head injury. It was just the blood was coming from that, that superficial injury. But they took me to the hospital and I was very, very lucky that the physical injuries that I had were all muscle damage. Amazing. Yeah. I think probably being a child helped save you in that you were probably more flexible, your bones less, you know, stiff and brittle. That probably went in your favor. But I mean, absolutely terrifying. And, you know, a long, slow heel, I should think, in uh, mentally and physically. What strikes me, it, it's such a testament to you and your personalities that you came through that and still have immense love for horses and made it your life. What good came out of it? I know you're a person, you know, I know you well. And whilst I knew some of that story, I never really knew the whole story. And it's, it's even worse than I'd imagined, to be fair. But I've noticed with you in life, you always look for the good in things. Always. And we were talking the other day about the Chinese proverb of the, the man who had a son who had a horse and his horse ran away and all the neighbours were going, oh, no, what bad luck. And he was like, good luck, bad luck. Who knows? Then the horse comes back with another wild horse and the neighbours are like, wow, how lucky. Good luck, bad luck. Who knows? Anyway, the story goes on, as I'm sure most of you know this proverb, that the horse then broke the, the son's leg and everyone's like, no, what bad luck. And the man was like, good luck, bad luck. Who knows? Then the army draft comes. He doesn't have to go to war because his leg's broken. So it just shows, you know, don't always think that something's bad. It's kind of hard to see a lot of good in being nearly killed by a stallion, but it has shaped your life. But tell us how, what good came out of that? Yeah, as a 13 year old, I didn't yet have the majority mm. to see good. Yeah. But I also didn't think of it as only a bad thing. You know, even at that age, I had a lot of struggle that came out of it. Not only physically, I had to wear a brace on my leg for a year at night because the muscle at night would, uh, as it was, it was still healing, it would, uh, it would tighten to the point where in the morning I could barely walk on it. So I had to wear this brace that would, that would flex it during the night. So or nothing was actually broken, but your muscles were shredded. Yes. Tendons, ligaments, torn, etc. Just mus my muscles were basically crushed. Horses have such bite force that it just crushed in the places where he had actually had his mouth around me. And where he was laying on you, you somehow got away with that, which it truly is nothing short of a miracle because you weren't in mud. You were on a stone. It, it, it's, it's unbelievable that you survived that. Yeah. yeah, yeah. 
Yeah, but the super, super lucky in that the physical healing was less than the emotional healing. I did have a lot of terrors in the night, you know, nightmares where I would relive it again and again that continued for a few years afterwards. Were you scared of horses after that? Never. Being scared of a horse never crossed my mind, never entered my psyche. Unbelievable. Yes. I think that's the testament of a child as well. I don't know. But that's pretty incredible that you were never scared. Super interesting. I'm really glad we had time to sit down and, and for me to hear that story. But I, for one, am glad you are still here. <laughs> I am too. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> All those other stories wouldn't be possible. No, that's right. I have always loved being a teacher. When I was a little kid, I would make these different lectures and classes on obscure topics like equine diseases and lameness. And we're here, Andrea and I are connected because of Horse Class. And Horse Class is my educational company and a community of horse people from countries all around the world that are united by wanting to be the best that we can for ourselves and for our horses. And we publish free videos, free resources, and premium courses in riding tips, in horse training information and inspiration, and also how to take the best possible care of your horse. If you want to learn more, check out our website, horseclass.com. We've got the link in the show notes. So we both had major accidents at age 13. Yeah. How weird is that? Well, I guess we realize things aren't so weird, really. Is 13 one of those ages, like, you know, 27 to 28 is Saturn return? Is what? Saturn return? You never heard of that? No. In astrology, now I know very little about astrology, but I know that like 27 to 28, they call it Saturn return. And it's typically when there's big changes. There's a big change in life. Oh, I can relate to that. I think that we do tend to sort our shit out at that age quite often. Yeah, I had a huge change at that age. But I'm wondering if 13 might have some kind of significance. I wonder. I'm sure we could find out. We'll have to do some research into that. Yeah. Well, you are changing from oftentimes, for women anyway, childhood to, to woman and boys too, I guess. You know, changing. There's a lot of change around that age, but... Yeah. So when you were 13, yeah, you had an accident also with a horse. Yeah. That you fell and on the landing you broke your back. But you didn't know it until the time that you were 40. Yeah. So I was having a chiropractic treatment when in, you know, in my 40s, I think around the age of 40 and you know, amazing body worker and he said so when did you break your back? And I was like, I didn't break my back. I don't know what you're talking about. And he said, you did. Well, I mean, they say break my back. I didn't like sever anything, thank God. But I had a significant sort of fracture to that air, lower area of my spine. And oh, everything just fell into place. It made perfect sense to me that that's what had happened. I remember it so well. I was riding a pony called Bobbin. 
with the lady that had taught me to ride when I was very little. I started riding lessons, I think, when I was like three or something, four. My grandmother rode, my mother rode, my father rode, everyone did. And he was pretty full on, this pony, but I was a gung-ho rider and I was riding alongside her. And we'd gone up through the lanes and I'm assuming that we'd done a canter or something and then the pony bolted. And there's a hill near our village that is so steep. It, I don't know what gradient it is, but you're going down it in a very low gear. It's an incredibly steep hill. And there's a T-junction at the bottom. And it's a tiny village. We're not talking a main road. These are roads that have no markings on them or anything. And he bolted down there and I stayed with him. And then he did a very sharp right turn on the T-junction to go home. And I went straight over his head or over his shoulder. And in Cornwall, we have what are called Cornish stone hedges and they're very old and they're stacked rock and they come to often come to somewhat of a point at the top. And it's still there, actually. <laughs> I drive past it sometimes and think, oh, yeah, I know that wall well. And my head hit the ground. I was wearing a helmet, but my head hit the ground and my back went backwards over the top of the stone wall, just ricocheted. And I hit the floor and I landed in a heap. I could remember the noise of the ponies, hooves clattering away. And the lady I was riding with, she was on foot. She was way back. And the first person to the scene was a man called Sandy. He's actually recently passed away, but he was one of the firefighters from the village. And he was first to the scene. And the first thing he did was pick me up. In my memory, it probably didn't happen like this, but this seems to be my memory. I mean, in this day and age, they you wouldn't be moved, as the same with you with your accident, unlikely to be moved, although different when you've got a predatory horse <laughs> near you. And they were like, can you move your toes? Can you stand up? Yeah. Okay, you're fine. You're okay. No one checked for anything else. And I can still remember the pain when I was standing up, but I was quite stoic as a child. Mum always said, you know, you were quite a serious child. And I just kept quiet. So I had to walk about two miles home. She'd caught me up by now. And we walked home and I got taken straight to the doctors and I had a big hole in my back. So you had, it wasn't just internal, like you had. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I still have a scar now where wow. it healed over and quite a significant scar. And they had to pack it, pack the hole in my back. I mean, God, I really should have got x-rayed. But it's like someone else said, in a way, maybe it's better that you didn't because they may have wanted to operate on you. And back then, spinal injuries in the 80s would have been, the operations would have been sketchy, I suspect. So maybe more damage would have been caused. And um, yeah, I remember having, I didn't go to school for ages and I couldn't walk at all well. And all I could do was slide my feet. It was so painful to lift my feet because I damaged my spinal cord. Shortly after the accident, I was being taken to the doctor's surgery every day. I mean, in England, then, you know, there was a little doctor surgery in every village and I would be taken to have all of the, the hole cleaned out in my back and they were pulling out bone fragments. And But yeah, because I could move my legs and my feet, I was fine. But I can remember I could only slide my feet for six to eight weeks. 
and it affected things in me going forward, like as a woman coming into womanhood, it affected all of that because I think the nerve endings had all been tugged and pulled and smacked and it definitely wasn't a good thing. And I can remember about eight weeks after it happened, I was running to keep up with a group of my friends at school and I was running up the stairs and whatever happened, it kind of repeated itself and I just fell to the floor and the pain in my back was horrendous, horrendous. So I had to start the healing process again, but I was okay. I, I came out of it and it didn't make me scared of riding. It didn't do any of those things, but it definitely made me more mindful of being in connection with your horse so that those things don't happen. <laughs> And how long was it until you were back to riding again? I honestly don't remember. It would have been the second I was allowed to, I'm sure. But I I would bet it was three or four months before I could ride again because I couldn't lift my knees up or anything like that. I could only slide my feet. And did you have in that time any kind of physical therapy or it was just go about go about life and let the body heal? Get up, get going. Yeah. And I don't see that as a terrible approach. I'll be honest, because had I been told, oh my gosh, you've injured your back so much, maybe mentally I would have made some deals with my body and I would have really suffered from it for forever. I don't know. But no, I don't recall having any therapy. And it's not that anyone was neglectful in not doing that. It just wasn't a thing back then. You know, I'm thinking this was probably... 1985, something like that. I was fine. I could move my toes. I could move. You just got up and got going. Yeah. And is that something, is it an injury that still affects you? Can do. Yeah. It can. Like if I'm having acupuncture or something like that, you cannot put a needle anywhere near that. The pain is intense. For the most part, if I leave it alone, it's fine. But if I sit in a certain way for too long, it will make me very sore in that area, but I, I can walk it off pretty quick. No, I mean, I got, I got off quite lucky, you know, when you think about things that happen to people riding horses, but I, I like to weigh things up though. And it's like, I have ridden horses. I don't know. I'm thinking probably tens of thousands of times. I mean, my whole life and my work in Costa Rica, you know, for I had my business for 12 years and I probably rode about six hours a day, you know, thousands and thousands of hours in the saddle. And I've probably had maybe three hours of that in my life, not go to plan. So when you look at that in probability, it's, it's pretty good. Accidents can happen in any way. It wasn't something that was going to put me off. Yeah. We got to, we got to do what we love. I always remember a, uh, a saying that my dad told me when I started riding motorcycles and I thought that he wasn't going to like the fact that I was riding. Hmm. Because he was injured in a motorbike accident. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And he told me, you got to do what you love and if it takes you out, so be it. That's right. If something's going to take me out, I'd rather it be something I enjoy doing. Yes. And, you know, the fear of what is, what could happen, it can just paralyze you mentally. 
and your your comfort bubble just gets smaller and smaller and smaller. It doesn't. That's not the same as being reckless. You know, it it's different. Being reckless is one thing, but doing what you love and to hell with the consequences. You know, those are two things that maybe run close together, but I think they're different. It's, you know, you take precautions, you wear safety equipment, but you do it anyway. You know, I, I couldn't have not had horses in my life. My life would have been very, very different. And it's not something I would want to contemplate not having horses in my life. Well, it's pretty wild too, that we both had a major accident when we were 13. Yeah, big time. And, you know, I think that, you know, there's so much more that comes out of accidents. It's not just what happened before and then what happened in the, in that moment. It's, it's the effects. It's, again, it's the butterfly wing. I think because I hit that wall so hard off a horse, um, I couldn't have children. And that's okay for me. I didn't really want children anyway. But that did change the course of my life. But I also didn't become scared of horses. And I moved on with my life with horses in it. And yeah, a lot of good came out of that as well. So things happen and change the course of your life, but it doesn't have to write it off completely. You know, it's how we redefine the story to suit ourselves as we move forward. It's not about denying something. It's about not letting it define who we are. I wanted to just take a break in recording to tell you about my book. Crossing Bridges is about my journey coast to coast in Costa Rica with my friends and rescue horses. This was life-changing, life-affirming and made me rethink what horses were capable of. Crossing Bridges. It's a great read. I hope you enjoy it. Yes, hmm. that is well said. There are, there are so many things we never know what could happen in life. I mean, gosh, probably what we do every day driving down the road is statistically yeah. one of the most dangerous things that we do. 100%. That we don't give it a moment of thought. We don't give it a moment of thought. But I, I feel the same. There's two big things that I always have to have in my life, despite the risks, are horses and motorcycles. Yeah, it's pretty cool watching you rip around on your bike yesterday. Yeah, there's no holding you back. I don't want to be held back either. It's like, you know, I'm here for however long I'm here and I'm going to enjoy every second of it, doing what I love. Yeah. Yes. Here's to life. Here's to life. Grab life by the reins, that's what we say. Well, everyone, I'm sure some of you had goosebumps like I did listening to this, but thank you so much for being with us and listening and we will be back soon with another episode thanks for being here thank you for listening to grab life by the reins if you want to see ridiculous photos from our adventures be the first to know when we release new episodes and be a part of more shenanigans join our email family at grablifebytherains.com we'll see you in the next program <laughs>